everybody, to another very special episode of Ignite Radio Live. You are with Greg and Stephanie Schleter over the five mighty stations of Annunciation Radio for the Almighty. We welcome you today. Whom would you bring with you, one person, if you were found yourself in the wilderness? Besides you? <laughs> sure, we'll go besides me. Uh, my brother, Keith. Oh, that's sweet. Yeah. Why? Well, one, I just enjoy him so much, and he's so <laughs> dear to me, and he's also pretty... Uh, resourceful. Resourceful in the wilderness and elsewhere. He probably he's builds kind you of a, my go-to guy. He probably builds you a mansion. <laughs> Anyways, um, folks, I want to set the stage tonight by saying many of us looking at the economic, political, health, ecclesial situation around us in the physical world feels like a wilderness. It doesn't feel like the same world we were in 20 years ago, or even, shall I say, two years ago, or five Five months ago. So many of us right now, to use the word wilderness, are bewildered. And there are innumerable wonderful guides who are godly, who bring great counsel, who look at the world's circumstances around us and are speaking into it. And uh, we have one of those amazing guests with us tonight. Drum roll. Yes, we do. Our kids would joke that the three people that I quote the most often as they were growing up were my dad, John Paul II, and Father Ricardo. <laughs> I'm just very blessed by his uh, homilies and retreats and such that we're, we would listen to, you know, through the podcast or the web or whatever the phrase was back in those days. Um, but just his grace and wisdom and passion mm. and urgency and, you know, talk about a guide in the wilderness that has been Father John Ricardo for, for anybody who has heard him. So we're going to get to him in just a moment. We're going to call him up and bless to have this interview. Before we get there, two other commercials, because the first is, if you want your home to be a place of ever-deepening encounter, relationship at the heart of ritual, which to me, to Steph and I, as we're now 50 years plus, we see this as decisive for Catholic families, for families that want their children to truly love Christ, to own Christ personally. It takes more than just the ritual. It takes more than getting them to Mass. Yes, that's just fundamental. It's unquestioned that they're anchored in that grace. But to foster a culture in their homes, this Live It Gathering Guide is a phenomenal way to do it. New every week, based upon subsequent Sunday readings. That's commercial one. Find that at ilovemyfamily.us, especially with Lent coming up. Now, connected to that is a, we have a Lenten Power Hour series for Catholic couples coming up in Lent, beginning March 2nd. Now, what is this? Imagine a date night, folks. Which of us couldn't use a structured, fun date night every Wednesday, 8.30 p.m. Eastern Time with amazing couples throughout the country for just a meaningful hour? Now, what would that consist of if you could design it? At least we got to design it. Would be phenomenal Catholic commentators, speakers who are well-known, who have great wisdom and insight, who would instruct us, particularly, I'm going to say on each letter of the Trinity, each letter of the Trinity. So we have just that. And uh, the speakers are, Steph, why don't you tell us who our speakers are? Um, in no particular order, uh, Greg and Julie Alexander from the Alexander House, um, Father Nathan Cromley, a beloved native son of the Diocese of Toledo here, Peter and Debbie Herbeck, uh, Melody Lyons, Father Nicholas Rowell, uh, and Dr. Bob Schutz. 
So these folks on each night, each, each will have a Wednesday where they will speak to a large gathering, we hope, over Zoom. And it will be followed by short breakout sessions. So again, it begins March 2nd. It continues through April 13th, every Wednesday night, 8.30. We ask you to sign up. Now get your pen out for the registration place. We ask you to sign up at massimpact.us forward slash power. That's massimpact.us forward slash power. And we do encourage you right now, I'm sure you can think of some close couples whom you'd like to share this with. So the benefit is what? It's, it's a benefit during Lent to you personally to encounter Christ. Secondly, something you get to do with your spouse together in a meaningful way. Thirdly, you can build up your community. You can build up those two or three or four couples who share a heart for Christ that's going to forge you together. It's going to create, open up uh, avenues of conversation, of connectivity. So again, it is a Lenten Power Hour series for Catholic couples at massimpact.us forward slash power. And our final commercial, our Belief and Beverage Nights are back. Season two, mm, everybody. Amazing. The theme is Know the King, Live the Kingdom. Every third Thursday, beginning February 17th at GMC of Perrysburg. Thank you to Rich and Connie Cronin once again for um, allowing us to use their space in such a hospitable way. But it's they're going to be awesome. So we have Father Eric Schild lined up, Deacon Ed Maher. Father Mike Danderan, Father Mark Davis, and Monsignor Michael Billion as our as our speakers, our beloved clergy to lead us each night. You can register free at massimpact.us forward slash BNB. And we need to limit the number to 100. So we encourage you to sign up and also say that please, when you sign up, be committed to it. With no further ado, let's give Father John Ricardo a call. Hello. Hello, Father John. Welcome to Ignite Radio Live. We're so delighted that you're taking this time with us. Honored to be with you. Thanks very much. So I go to this site, uh, Father John, and our theme, by the way, tonight is, and we introduced this before we called you, that the world, many feel um, bewildered in the same root word that we feel like often we're in a wilderness, ecclesially, politically, the health circumstances, the physical, temporal world. We lack recognition of things that maybe we recognized two years ago, five months ago have changed. So we said we really, who would we choose if we were looking for a wise guide to speak to us, to speak clarity and conviction to us. And we found this great site, XXXX, and I say that to distinguish because there is an X29. So check out XXXIX.org and right there in front of you bold is God wants his world back connected to you, Father John. So I'll tell you what, we're delighted to have you in the conversation in the next hour. Uh, if you could just give us a quick primer, we're going to we're going to get uh, your backstory leading up to that. But just so our listeners right out of the gates know that place that you are now leading marvelously right now that speaks to the bewildered in the wilderness, I think, powerfully. Give us a snapshot of that, and then we're going to go back and get your story and uh, really ask some questions for all of us who are seeking guidance in the wilderness. Yeah, so the, the first question is, uh, what happens in Acts 29? And uh, oftentimes I ask people that, uh, unfortunately, many Catholics don't even know that there's only 28 chapters. <laughs> right, so right. They, they, often, they often respond something like, nothing. And the answer is, <laughs> no, no, nothing. You do. 
you happen in Acts 29. Mm. The same Holy Spirit who wrote the first chapters of the early church is writing right now in your life and in mine. And so there's a huge point in that simple little um, Mm -hmm. observation. The point is that you and I are not alive right now by chance. Mm. Like God, it, it's not a it's not a historical fluke that we're living now and we're living where we're living. Like God could have, in His wisdom and His providence, chosen for us to be alive at any moment and in any place in history. But He chose us to be alive right now. Mm. Don't get nostalgic. Don't wish you lived in another time. Mm. Don't wish you lived when it was easier. Like this is His choice, and He's He's destined us for now, and He's equipped us for the gifts that we have for now. And um, Joan of Arc, is, as you might have seen, is one of our heroes. And outside of Our Lady, I don't know if there's a great mm. woman that ever lived than Joan. And um, Joan's you know, famous line as she begins her mission is, after she asked, aren't you afraid? She says, no, I'm not afraid. God's with me. Um, and I was born for this. Oh, and so were you. And so was I. We were all born for mm-hmm. this moment. So that's our work. So we, we just believe that. We believe we are... A, small team of people were seven folks uh, who God kind of pulled out of parish and diocesan life um, it, it to be kind of like a, a combination of three things, something like a Catholic think tank, missionaries, and reformers. Mm. Which is awesome. really dangerous because the first <laughs> person in need of reform is me. Mm, I love that. Um, but that's what we do. We, we, we spend a lot of time thinking and praying on behalf of those in the church who tragically don't have time to think and pray mm-hmm. because church life is so broken. Mm-hmm. And yes. we just go from thing to thing to thing without asking the Lord, Lord, what do you want us to do right mm-hmm. now? Amen. I so absolutely... Our work is geared towards pouring into bishops, pouring into priests, and just a, please God, a compelling and attractive proclamation of the gospel. Mm-hmm. I absolutely love that. By the way, folks, again, I'm going to say it because it's worth looking at, praying into, seeing how you can be involved. Certainly donations uh, are, I'm sure, well received. But underneath a very cool logo, XXXIX against X29, writing the next chapter of the church. And I love the description. We unleash the power of the gospel and equip ordained and lay leaders with our three essential principles in order to mobilize the church for mission. Um, so anyways, um, you mentioned St. Joan of Arc, and I have to say that resonates deeply with me. In fact, when I was battling my COVID a few months ago, uh, the Lord definitely led me to Mark Twain's account of St. Joan of Arc, and I've been speaking of it pre- uh, frequently here on air. Mark Twain regards it, who's obviously a masterful storyteller, and uh, not really renowned for his faith or anything like that, but he describes it as, as his best and most consequential work. And I really encourage all of you who are listening, if you want to be attuned to the power of God working through the faith of a very unlikely, inconsequential soul, if you're questioning, how can God use me? Come on, you're dealing with an 18, 19-year-old girl in the 18th, 17th century who took on the forces of, of England, leading the troops of France um, for the kingdom. And so I, I'm absolutely with you on the uh, leadership, if you will, the guidance, the um, witness of St. Joan of Arc. 
So we're going to go back now, as we like to say, you start at the very beginning. Just for those of us who don't know your backstory, we like to proclaim Revelations 12, 11. They defeated the enemy. Which of us don't recognize the power of the enemy around us? We should also right out of the gates know that as God is sovereign and omnipotent, every uh, act of the enemy is allowed by God. It's a mystery. We don't know why, but he allows it for our formation and virtue. So they defeated the enemy by the blood of the lamb, the holy mass, and the word of their testimony. So, Father, if we could just get a, a quick snapshot, we know we could hear other programs where you tell marvelously your amazing conversion story and background in film, but if you could encapsulate that in a few minutes for us. Yeah, I was born. I, uh, I was a messed up child. I encountered Jesus. He called me to be a priest. How's that for <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> that's the encapsulation. How about that? I hate, I hate bios as a priest. You know, I, um, mm. so, yeah, real quick, grew up in a really... Um, in a family that uh, was devout without being devotional, if that makes sense. So, mm -hmm. uh, my, my dad was Catholic. My mom was Methodist. Uh, I had three older sisters, a brother. He passed away now. My parents are gone, too. Um, but I grew up in a home. I think George Weigel once described the home of uh, John Paul when he was growing up as a place where there was just the normalcy of faith. And that mm -hmm. was... That was my home. Um, so I didn't know prayers, but I knew praying. Because mm -hmm. um, my dad modeled how to talk to the Lord in our house. But it wasn't devotional prayer, but it was uh, intimate and personal. And uh, my mom was the same way. And I kind of grew up as an evangelical Catholic. So um, very firmly Catholic and um, very firmly rooted in Scripture, mm. of course, is to be Catholic. And then, um, you know, like... Edith Stein, um, the, the great saint, once described her own childhood. She said it was a, a moment where she very consciously stopped praying. And I didn't consciously stop praying. I, I've known the Lord since I can remember, quite honestly. But mm -hmm. I did stop living a Christian life very consciously and began to kind of, like many people, just straddle a fence. But I did it really deliberately. <laughs> And then, you know, God in his kindness and his mercy led me into contact with a whole set of folks, um, especially when I was in college, who built upon the seeds that my plant, my, my parents had planted in me, um, and kind of led me into, uh, the beginnings really of my conversion, which is still very much in process, trust me. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I, I had some really profound encounters with Jesus when I was in my early mid twenties, and that led me to, uh, a, a greater call to surrender and eventually led me to priesthood, which uh, I've been a priest now for 25 plus years. Awesome. Praise God. Very, very blessed. Um, so, Father, we, we have you with great wisdom in this wilderness speaking to us. And there are a number of maybe hardball questions that a number of people, I think, are struggling with or looking for clarity in. And I'd like to use our time maybe to kind of unpack some of these and speak some uh, speak the truth of the gospel to many folks in who are asking some of these questions. One of them, I think, is there are many faithful Christians who are very concerned, shall we say, about a subjective caprice, not only in the secular culture, but they know there's an objective truth. They're drawn to the Catholic faith because it has purported to be the rock of Peter, uh, objective truth revealed, the fullness of our faith 
etc. And maybe they look at the ecclesial, uh, the pontiff, and they see things, the dubia. These are all words that maybe some of our audience would know, some questions and concerns. And some of them, now here's the thing, a number of them, because of that concern, that subjective caprice have become unmoored a little bit, have, have come to question the authority of the church, and in certain respects, swung that pendulum to question, if you will, even theology of the body, John Paul II, Vatican II, uh, and perhaps concerned that they represent a kind of, you know, um, know, conspiratorial forces, if you will, within our church. And, uh, you you know, I think the word traddy perhaps speaks to that. Number one, have you experienced some of that um, sensibility, particularly among younger people? And how do you speak to them uh, about this truth of our faith right now? What what encouragement could you give to them? I I find all of that, quite honestly, distracting. Mm. Mm. Um, I, and I find it um, to be, I don't want to seem uh, dismissive, but I find it to be almost wildly ignorant of church history. Mm. Where are you going to look? To what age are you going to look to find some idyllic church? I mean that really. Yeah, right. excellent, excellent point. <laughs> right. Where are you going to, what, what age? You're going to pick the fourth century when more than 50% of the bishops were heretics? Mm-hmm. They didn't believe in the divinity of Jesus? You, you're going to pick the second century with Gnosticism being um, rampant? You're going to pick the uh, the 18th century when uh, the French priests are, you know, capitulating to the reign of terror? You're going to pick uh, England when, I mean, we love St. John Fisher, right? Well, why do we love St. John Fisher? Mm. Because he's the only single bishop that didn't cave right. like, well, like, what are you, So good. Gonna look? So, I mean, you know, every age, the church is continually assailed. And, you know, we have, um, I, 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 again, I find those things distracting. Either we believe that Jesus founded the church or we didn't. Mm-hmm. And if you don't, well, then... I don't know what to say to you. Right, uh, right. And if you do, don't, don't, don't get, well, I do know what to say to you, but I want to go there in this conversation. Sure, <laughs> sure. If, if you do, then, then don't, just don't, don't, don't get sidetracked by that. The, the task right now, the, the world could really give a flip about the, um, I think, the, um, the challenges going on, you know, intra-ecclesia. What the world needs to hear is the gospel compellingly proclaimed. And you don't need a bishop to do that. Mm. You, don't, you don't need a guy in a collar to do that. You can do that. All of us can do that. Uh, I, I continue to believe passionately that the single most urgent task is um, the proclamation of the gospel, mm. both inside the church to bishops, to priests, to people in the pews, and outside to the people who have either left um, they're nuns. They've never heard the gospel. I, I just don't think most people have ever heard the gospel. And once you've heard the gospel and you can anchor your faith in Jesus and in the Father's faithfulness, well then, you know what? I have a way of handling the faults and the weaknesses and the stupidity of men and women. Amen. Because that's, <clears throat> that's not where my faith is. Yeah. Right. So I want to 
I want to throw this at you because I, I am so grateful for you um, really giving us a short uh, history, if you will, on the nature of God alive in the world anywhere at any time. It's a challenge. Um, but in particular, um, I think that what's decisive for marriage and families, which is our particular arena, but it's the cornerstone of civilization, so it merits some attention. What we see as decisive now into our 50s is more than just attentiveness to ritual and religion. Certainly the grace flowing from the sacraments is foundational. And this is kind of maybe built into my first question. Yes, that's all essential. But what's what's fundamental or decisive, and I think Pope Benedict nailed it in his Jesus of Nazareth trilogy, is the heart of ritual and religion. Religion is relationship. And I think we're struggling as modern Catholics. This wasn't in the early church. But we're struggling with understanding what does it mean to be intentional? You know, Catechism 2111, if we're not attending to the dispositions at the heart of the disciplines, we're kind of embarking in superstition. So there is this kind of beautiful John Paul II prophet of this, the subjective awakening, attending to that objective truth. And I think many are maybe fighting, even church leaders, bishops, priests, with metanoia with this dimension of, of a vulnerability and transparency without it being reduced to sort of an evangelical caprice, without it being reduced to kind of hokey, because maybe, let's face it, 60s and 70s, those all banners and butterflies and whatever else people may want to say. So, I, I mean, speak to us about how critical it is for us to have hearts throughout Scripture. We see this attuned to Christ in the gospel at the heart of what we're proclaiming, at the heart of this proclamation of the gospel. How decisive do you see that as a factor in the church fully alive? No, I think it's essential. I mean, I, I think that's, that that flows right from the gospel, right? So the the the, the compelling and attractive proclamation of the gospel, that John Paul says in um, Catechesis Tridente, in the document he wrote on catechetics, is is supposed to lead to a person being overwhelmed mm. by what by what they've heard, and then moved to make a decision to entrust their whole lives to Jesus in faith which then has ramifications for every facet of our lives. Mm -hmm. But it, it's, again, why the, the, the gospel has to come first, because how, how many people do you think have honestly been overwhelmed inside the Catholic Church? Mm. Mm -hmm. So good. I, I, I Very few. few. Yeah. And, and, and how many people do you think have made a decision to surrender everything to Jesus' mm. faith? I mean, scan the crowds and you'll look for... Maybe you'll get 10, 15, 20 hands on a, on a, in a parish on a Sunday, their whole lives. So that has to come first. And we gloss through that, I think. It's like, oh, yeah, people have heard the gospel. No, they haven't. Mm -hmm. I don't know where they would have heard it. And then once that happens, now all of a sudden, now every dimension of life changes, starting with marriage and family. Mm -hmm. because, because now having encountered the Lord, now I come to understand, well, my task is both to proclaim him, to surrender to him, um, and to continue the mission that he began on Easter Sunday of recreation. And that, that work of recreation and transformation and healing, um, that begins at home. You know, my, my mom and dad, um, they were married 66 years. And mm. I, so I, I think one of the, we need what we, we don't need. Um, we don't need more words. We need more witnesses. Mm -hmm. Right. And so, so the, the church, the church is great at abandoning around words, which um, might be familiar to people, but we have no clue what they actually mean. Mm. If, you know, whether it's redemption or sacramentality or whatever it might be like, these are words which are 
uber familiar, but at the same time, almost impenetrable to most people. And they feel stupid for asking the question, uh, I don't think I know what a sacrament is. Mm-hmm. So we need to, we need to go back to basics. And so part of it is just holding up witnesses and examples and being ourselves witnesses and examples. I, I tell increasingly so the story of my parents to young couples simply in marriage prep, simply to help them understand like, what is the point of marriage? Because I, I would, this is maybe overly provocative, but I would push <laughs> the argument that, that, that there's one simple point. Because a sacrament is a visible sign of an invisible reality instituted by Jesus, which gives grace. Okay, so, or in marriage, it's elevated by Jesus. So the visible sign in marriage, because that's near and dear to your heart and to mine, um, and the foundation of society is what? And people are always like, uh, the ring. Um, no, it's not the ring. You know, the visible sign is you. Mm-hmm. And it's not you, the couple, first and foremost. It's you, the husband, or you, the wife, to your spouse. It's like, oh, mm-hmm. I didn't know that. Well, what's the invisible reality? Well, the invisible reality is God. <laughs> mm. So, suddenly like things are like oh my goodness i think i'm beginning to get a grasp of this like you're supposed to be a tangible audible encounterable experiential Mm. sign to your loved one of who god is (laughs) you know your faithfulness your gentleness your patience your kindness your uh, all those things right and in in marriage like all the sacraments Give grace. What's grace? Grace is power. That's the easiest mm-hmm. way for me to understand it. Which, which means, you know, um, thriving in marriage is not uh, a question of trying harder. Thriving in That's marriage good. is a question of putting up your hands and surrendering and saying, Lord, I can't do this. Mm-hmm. So but good. I'm not on my own. When I got, when I got married, or in my case, when I got ordained, I got, this is the image I use, I got plugged into the power grid mm. that is God's divine source. Love that. And he promised me that day that he would give me what I need to do this. And so, to, to in my mom and dad's case, like, they went through some really challenging times. And, and everybody in marriage comes into marriage with a past. And the, the, the beauty of that is supposed to be that God wants to use you to heal each other. Hmm. And I, I won't get into all my mom and dad's past. I'll simply tell you this. When my dad died, I heard my dad, my mom say to my dad, um, as he was lying in the casket before we were about to walk in, the most extraordinary words I've ever heard anybody say to another human being. And she just said it like she was talking to him, but she did, didn't even know that I was there. And she looked at him, held his hand in the, in the casket and said, Honey, because of you, I know who God is. Mm. It's epic. That's the point. That's right. awesome. Well, you can't you can't do that unless you know who God is. Right. You know, like, so my dad couldn't have revealed him as brokenly and incompletely as he did, but he couldn't have done that if he hadn't first, back to your question, surrendered to the Lord. And he could not have surrendered to the Lord if he hadn't encountered him. And how are you going to encounter him if you don't hear the gospel? Mm -hmm. 
Does that make sense? Absolutely. So good. Now, on this point of proclaiming the gospel, uh, I think an area that is, I don't know, for the Catholic faithful in the pews, we're awakening to. Uh, I'll just put this in the form of a question that my son, John Paul, one of our two students in Hillsdale asked, who is very faithful, Catholic, has experienced charismatic things. He's very faithful to the church, loves Latin mass, the transcendent, all of that. Um, but he says, Dad, why do you think uh, organizations such as Renewal Ministries and Damascus and Encounter Ministries are, are gain, gaining uh, in prominence these days? Why do you think it's happening? You might even say, let's go back to Steubenville. And of course, we know this goes back to, to, to the uh, Pentecost, of course, and there's a, a reawakening to it. And so um, I think right now, many people, um, because of poor experiences or myth around matters charismatic, and I'm choosing my words carefully, nothing wrong with the charismatic renewal, but I would state that what matters most is not an adjectival kind of Catholicism. I'm a conservative Catholic or charismatic. I want to be open to all that Christ revealed to be true in the fullness of the magisterium. And the gospel we see in scripture that demonstration often corresponds Responds to the power of that seed being planted and cultivated, demonstration of signs and wonders. And we're seeing that, Steph and I, as we've said a few weeks ago in the encounter um, conference that took place in Grand Rapids, fabulous. And innumerable priests, lay people, and was striking about that as it was so normal. It wasn't like the, you know, the superstar on the stage who had the power. No, it was by virtue of baptism, we are grafted into Christ and we are given the opportunity, and I would even say this to married couples and families, to not simply pray for them, but to pray over them in the name of Jesus and to have trust that this is what it means to be Catholic and Christian. So I'll say charismatic dimension of the church. And I'm saying, I think it's significant that we mature in this, in the ordinary heart of the church. What are your thoughts on that? So like you, I hate labels. Uh, I mean, here's the irony about the Catholic church. You you can't find a, a broader, more open, more diverse body anywhere. Right. You want to be you want to be charismatic? Great. You want to be a Carthusian? Great. You want you want to be Ignatian? Fantastic. You want to be whatever, right? So um, far far from being as kind of monolithic as so many people think we are, um, there is such extraordinary diversity and unity uh, within the Catholic Church. Here's how I would answer that question: um, w- Without the Holy Spirit, um, we can do nothing. Mm-hmm. And so whatever that means to you, uh, you know, so I'm always fascinated by um, even simply to respond to the gospel. Like, that's not a question of like, okay, I think I have enough data now. (laughs) (laughs) It's so good. Right. And the proof, the proof to me of that is, uh, is the ascension, you know, it's Matthew's text where it says, you know, so Jesus is risen. They've been encountering the Lord for 40 days. They've been eating with him, drinking with him, you know, miraculous catch. Here they are. They're looking at the Lord. He's about to ascend into heaven. And the the gospel says, you know, they worshiped him and some doubted. Excuse Mm. me? They doubted? They're looking at the Lord. (laughs) Mm. Like I'm I'm seeing holes in his hands. There's this gaping wound in his mm. side. This guy was dead. He's alive. You know, like, what do you want? Well, what, what they wanted, what they needed was the Holy Spirit. Mm. Without Pentecost, they were going nowhere. Mm-hmm. I mean, nowhere, right? So with us, absent a new Pentecost, we're going nowhere. 
because it's just going to be a question of us trying to come up with things on our own. Mm-hmm. Well, that's not going to do anything. So, uh, you know, I remember, I remember being at a conference with some friends probably five, six years ago right now. And the church has called for a long time for a new Pentecost. And, and this was a, an ecumenical conference that we were at. And, um, and and I'll never forget this. This guy walked out. He was given. He was the keynote speaker this night in an audience of about eight thousand people. And he walked out onto the stage and he spent the first probably minute in painfully awkward silence, just kind of looking around at everybody. Mm. And you could tell he was praying. He was praying. And uh, you know. It, People are feeling awkward, like uh, the dude forget his business. <laughs> and uh, and someone would shout out something. He would just say, "Shh, mm. just wait, let's just wait." And then finally, he begins to speak. And I remember turning to the people I was with, and I said, "I don't think we want a new Pentecost. I think we would be scared to death mm. in the Catholic Church because I'm speaking here as a as a priest." Um. We were trained to say the words in a book. Mm, so good. But the Holy and, and that's not to say that, that rubrics and, and the rituals don't matter. Of course they do. Of course, in sacramental life's the, the, the heart of our, of our life. But uh, if we don't, uh, I think it's Consul Mesa in one of the mm-hmm. addresses that he gave to the bishops a set of years ago, if we don't give the initiative back to God, and if we don't remember that the church is not a rowboat, that is powered by the arms of the people in the boat. It's a sailboat mm. propelled by the wind of the spirit. If we don't remember so that, beautiful. we're going no, we're going nowhere. Mm. And so we have got to learn to be dependent. Whatever our spirituality is, we have got to be dependent on the Holy Spirit. The, the cloistered Carmelite is dependent on the Holy Spirit every bit as much as the person that encounter ministries. Mm-hmm. Um, it's only going to be fruitful to the degree that uh, that the paraclete is operative within us. I don't know if that helps. That's amazing. Folks, you're tuning to Ignite Radio Live, and we are so blessed to have Father John Ricardo with us, um, a very gifted uh, leader in our church today, speaking into our wilderness, speaking to those of us who are bewildered, speaking of grace and the need for this intimate encounter with God who fashioned us for himself in this church that he gives us through every generation to encounter him and be instruments of him to those around us. And we're just kind of asking maybe some difficult, hardball questions that some of you are asking, and uh, just to help guide us, if you will, in the midst of the wilderness. I just need to say too, Father John, that um, a gift that you have been to us over the years, both in personal um, friendship and um, advising, if you will, and just also, as we said in our intro prior to calling you, um, just how the Lord has used your words through your homilies and different talks to really um, form our family, not just Greg and I, but our children and how you simplify and just kind of clear out (laughs) all the other stuff, like you use the word distraction. And so one, I want to just affirm and declare God's work in you in that great gift of the Lord that you've cooperated with. You know, we're talking about the wilderness and I think we're, you know, to use that analogy, like looking for this, you know, cool contraption mm, <laughs> to help mm-hmm. with this and this, sure. and you're, you're showing us like, no, there's, here's a compass. Here's, you know, just the basics. Like if we could just get back to 
the basics, like you've said, you know, and and the gospel, that's simple, that's not so simple, but it really is, right? The focus on that and what that means and something that you have encouraged us in um, over these years is just a, the urgency of that. And if we really believe it, what that means. Mm. And, you know, as you have been um, using the phrase about proclaiming the gospel or knowing the gospel or hearing the gospel, I think so often as Catholics, Catholics in particular, we are blessed and dare I say cursed, <laughs> like no time in history with an abundance and overabundance of, you know, mm-hmm. books and podcasts and programs and this and that. And I think too often we've fallen in the trap of um, thinking we know the person but we really know the program. We become Catholic program junkies. And um, mm. so I don't know if you can can speak to that at all of, you know, you referred to, you know, go to this and try this and do that. Um, you know, obviously you, the ministry that you've been called to right now, we know is transforming the church, is encouraging, is, um, you know, really forming, really helping people to hear the gospel and to live it. Um, so I guess maybe I'm asking amidst all of that. So I would just want to say thank you. Um, but also maybe precautionary notes on, you know, the, the overabundance of that stuff or, you know, from program to program, you experienced, um, you know, as a pastor, you know, the, all that's out there and you kind of simplified it through alpha, I believe. But anyway, I just threw a lot at, at you. So go with it as you feel led by the spirit. How about that? Well, thanks. First of all, I appreciate your, um, your words. Um, I, I, I will tell you that uh, I don't find it insignificant that I was born on the feast of St. Barnabas. Mm. Um, who is a son of encouragement. Yes. Yes. Means. And, um, I know that's something that the Lord has placed on us as a ministry is in the midst of a time right now where so many in the church and so many public voices in the church are speaking so, you know, um, discouragingly. We sound so much like the world so often. Mm-hmm. Is any wonder that, the, that the people aren't lining up to come into church? Right. right. We, we, we sound the same. We look the same. We act the same oftentimes. And and I am like full disclosure, like I'm Eeyore. You know, <laughs> and it's, it's, I'm looking at a blue sky right now, but it's probably going to rain. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I am by nature very pessimistic. Um, but you know, so just to be clear, like I, I'm not I'm not optimistic about the times we're living in right now, and I'm certainly not naive. At least I hope I'm not. Mm-hmm. But I am extraordinarily hopeful and confident you know i think it's going to get as a friend of mine says it's going to get worse before it gets worse Mm. (laughs) (laughs) i like that actually (laughs) i don't know but um but you know god is not nervous right now Mm. so good i mean like just linger with it that is so important like god is not pulling his hair out he's not anxious he's not going oh my gosh i can't believe what's happening in the vatican right. or in, you know whatever diocese it's like god's not he's not like that you know jesus is lord mm. which is not like the mere conclusion to a prayer it's a reality and to say jesus is lord means no one else is and i think you know so much of what we're trying to proclaim especially to my brother priests who are so so often 
so discouraged, mm-hmm. so frustrated, so broken, so isolated, so lonely, so overworked, tired. They got two and a half people at the average parish mm-hmm. to help them on a staff. This is absolutely insufficient. And so just kind of like to breathe life into them and to go, you know, Jesus, he whooped Satan. You know that, right? Mm-hmm. Like he's not just kind. Mm-hmm. He is kind. But he's not just kind. He's unconquerable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He destroyed the power of death. He destroyed the power of hell. And Satan trembles in fear at his name. And he's the one who's with us. So so good. Don't be afraid. Just don't be afraid. You know? So I think, to, you know, our, our temptation, um, Mary and our team, she often says, and she was the director of evangelization and discipleship at a, the parish where we served before this. She would often describe parishes as kind of addicted to a, a almost a Netflix mentality. Mm-hmm. You know, just just find the next program, yep. the next movie, the next series, and just hit play. Um, and there are, as you said, um, thanks be to God, a plethora of great resources out there. I want to tell you about one that we've created. Um, Please do to add to the plethora. But um, but they only work if they're part of a culture. Amen. Amen. And the culture at the heart of the culture is community. Mm-hmm. I think you mentioned Alpha. We we brought, I don't know, several, a number, 4,000 people maybe to Alpha, and we saw extraordinary things. I know people got all sorts of opinions about stuff, but Jesus said you judge a tree by its fruit. Mm-hmm. And I've never seen anything bear more fruit than what we saw when we did Alpha because we saw people come back to the sacraments. We saw people come into RCIA. We saw people fall in love with Scripture. We saw people who suddenly found the Mass wasn't boring because they had the encounter. Mm-hmm. And... I, I ran Alpha because I wanted to lead people into an encounter with Jesus. What I grossly underestimated was how effective it was going to be at building relationships with each other. Mm-hmm. Because no one wants to belong to a big church. Like, we long to be known. And, man, if COVID has heightened anything, it's that. Right. Like, Absolutely. We, we are made for relationship. And... To see the whole person, not just the eyes, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, above the mask, mm-hmm. the whole person, and to be able to share our hearts. And so, you know, I, I think, I, I don't mean this to sound scandalous, like our parishes are really important, but I, evangelization, I think, is going to happen and should happen more and more out of our homes. Yes, mm-hmm. amen. Where we, in, where we invite people into our homes mm-hmm. and, and friendship can happen. And we can disciple one another, and we can walk with each other, and we can love each other, we can do life together. Mm-hmm. That's that's the way things are going to grow. And um, that's not to say that we shouldn't do bigger things at parishes. Of course we should, but it's got to get into homes. And and, and we need to learn to walk with each other and to pastor each other. Um, so I, I hope that makes sense. I love that. Community is just, it's so true. I think when I was younger... When I was in seminary, you know, maybe because it was the early 90s, late 80s, and, you know, there was all the talk about community. And I'm like, community is community. Like, I don't need right. community. <laughs> I'm to realize that, you know, at, at almost 60 now, like, man, we really made for community. Like, this is really important. Mm-hmm. Authentic and, uh, community. Authentic community. Yeah. Auth- yeah. Authentic community. Absolutely. That's just so good. And I think um, 
where the rubber hits the road for anybody who's listening right now, and we've been asking this sort of question at the onset of every major liturgical season where it seems like we're focused on doing something special or unique to quote unquote, get holy. How different are we going to be next year at this time as a result of the commitments we make this Lent. And I want to say many have been transformed, experienced great uh, transformation through Exodus 90, through amazing programs, Alpha, etc. But I think the measure, the indicator of great success, enduring success is number one, a year down the road, five years down the road. But secondly, what does your spouse and what do your children say about how your home culture has been transformed? I see many desire it. Every parent that I know, Steph and I know, would say, yes, we want that kind of atmosphere in our homes, a saint-making atmosphere. But number two, even just the simple step of once a week to gather. Yes, the novenas are great. Yes, adoration, all that. Grace flowing, yes. But can you sit down with your family on a weekly basis, set aside the digital devices, and talk and pray based upon subsequent Sunday readings for just 45 minutes, and it falls apart. They just, you know, they're, they're, they're good, godly people are having a hard time bringing their families together to talk and pray against the temptations of so much entertainment and devices and everything else. So do you have any words from your heart about the benefit or what God is offering us, grace being outpoured to mom and dad, and if you will, the step they need to take outside the boat under the water, to a simple step to kind of get in there and do it? Yeah, those are great questions. Um I, I, it makes me, so I'm in the middle of Exodus 90 right now. I'm finding it to be uh, unbelievably helpful personally. Mm-hmm. Um, but we started it with a bunch of guys and um, just said, hey, let's remember the goal you know, coming out of this. Um, so here's how I might, I might consider answering that. I, I have found um, very helpful three questions to um, pose to the Lord in prayer. And the three questions are these. Um, and so this could be me personally. This could be uh, you guys as a couple. Uh, could be as a family. Could be as a, at a parish, whatever it might be. But um, the first question is to, to pray with, if you will, the mindset of a physician. Mm. And, you're, and you're looking at um, something like a spiritual MRI of your marriage, the family, my life personally, uh, the parish, whatever it might be, whatever the context is. And I'm, I'm posing the question to the Lord, Lord, show me what is the single biggest wound right now? Because there's lots of places that we could pour our energy. Mm-hmm. But, but what's the biggest wound? And then from that, let's build a plan. That's the first question. The second question is now I'm, I'm praying with something like the mindset of a general. And I'm asking the Lord to show me something like a, a map of the territory, if you will, that could be my heart, our marriage, our family, our parish from a pastor. And I'm asking the Lord the question, Lord, what, what area here is occupied by the enemy that you want to liberate? Mm-hmm. That you're, that you're asking us to attack. And then you build a strategy. And then the last question uh, or scenario, if you will, um, is um, it's almost like you're asking you're asking the, the Lord to help you to see mission control and hell mm. with regards to your life or 
your marriage or your family or the parish or whatever the case might be. And there's this great passage in, um, I think it's in Second Kings, where um, Syria and Israel are at war. And the king of Syria, every, every plan he has gets thwarted. Like, you know, he makes a move and the Israelites, they're not there when they're supposed to be there. And something else happens. And finally, he meets with all his counselors. He says, okay, where's the traitor? And someone says, there is, there is no traitor, my Lord. There is a prophet in Israel who hears your words in your bedchamber. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it's Elisha, mm. who is hearing the counsels of the king and then warning the people. And I, I find that to be a great um, kind of like scriptural illustration, if you will, of the fact that the Lord wants us to win. He wants us to grow in freedom. He wants us to grow in holiness. He wants us to be engaged in the mission to liberate others. And, and a step in that is, Lord, show me what is hell's strategy in my life right now. Mm. So, you know, like we, we would do something say, with bishops and say with their leadership team. So if you were, you know, if you were hell and you were trying to render ineffective the, the plan that you have in your diocese, what would you do? And like eight things come immediately to mind, right? Like division, mm. and policy, gossip. Okay, so if we just came up with those as quickly as we did. Mm. It's probably a good bet. Those things are part of hell strategy. And there's probably some others. What are those? And then as you start doing that, you start to realize, especially in the marriage, ooh, those things are happening. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Let's, let's build a plan to attack them. Where, where's their fear? Where's their suspicion? Where there's, where's their jealousy? Where there's, where's their, uh, resentment or, or unforgiveness? Okay. Well, we got to come against those because this is, this isn't, a, you know, your doing or my doing. This is hell's doing. And, and we just want to tread on, on the serpent, right? So I, I think as, as we think about Lent, those are the three things. Mm. Where am I hurting? What area you ask me to liberate? And what is hell's strategy for my life right now? And how am I going to come up with a plan against it? I absolutely Powerful. love what you just laid forth for all of us. And Steph began taking notes. We were kind of scrambling for a pen and pencil. But of <laughs> like course, we, we can hear, hear this, this on the podcast, folks, on IgniteRadioLive.com. You'll be able to play this back. But I think what a framework for transformation. Mm-hmm. You know, there are great books out there, but you've kind of distilled from many books on transformation three points. And I might say to pastors, gosh, when folks come into our into parishes, it's not much different from the little kid going on the football field who has aspirations to be a great quarterback and he's looking at Tom Brady in that great Bonaventurian kind of you know von Balthazar tradition he's looking for an exemplar somebody who exemplifies what in his heart he wants to be similarly which of us don't go into a church and in our deepest aspirations want to be holy we're made for it and we're looking for exemplars of that certainly with the pastor and if you will and his staff that it's more than just a job or a task and what if I'm just posing this what if brothers and sisters all of you who are out there if we attended to these three principles and in a loving way, first of all, practice them ourselves. But if our parishes could be engaged in fostering that grace-filled culture of together addressing these. And even I might add that additional component of, of a mentoring, we think that the, that a key uh, feature that's missing in living this out is might even say co-mentors. It might be the traditional form of spiritual director, but just couples pairing with couples who will encourage, support, pray for, and yes, hold each other accountable and ask the question as you identify these things, like for me to say to Walt Erickson, hey, Walt, I'm sharing with you, Steph and I know I'm sharing this, hold me accountable for these 
10 areas, but let's just pick three, <laughs> three of these areas that I've said, here's the problem that is causing, you know, in our marriage. And I'm, I'm, I'm one of my strategies. I need a guy to hold me accountable so that next week yep. it may not be gone, but that you're going to challenge me. Hey, Greg, you said this. How did you respond in that per particular circumstance yep. where you fail? Yep. That's spot on. So, Father John, you had mentioned a, a new initiative or project. you want to tell us more about that? Yeah, so um, following from our conviction that the most um, urgent evangelistic task in the church is a compelling proclamation of the gospel, we, uh, we recorded, uh, I guess it was back in October last year now, we recorded a, a retreat that we gave, and it's in the hands now of 4 p.m. media. So uh, 4 p.m. is... They're the folks that did um, The Wild Goose, for example, mm. Father Dave Pavanka, mm -hmm. some other stuff. They're a tremendous uh, Catholic film company down in uh, Alabama. So they're turning into uh, it's an eight-week uh, experience. It's called uh, The Rescue Project, mm. which is um, how the Lord has led us to preach the gospel. Mm. And it's, um, it's going to be, we're going we're gonna to have it. Probably about Easter, we're going to do a little couple of betas, and then we're going to make it widely available come August. It's entirely free. Um, we're coming together with, uh, you know, facilitators' guides and how to run the rescue project so that it's embedded in a culture, so that it's not simply, a, you know, a Netflix thing like, mm -hmm. oh, good, let's play the video. Mm -hmm, it's mm -hmm. so much more than that. And what is, it, it has three purposes, building from John Paul's words in um, Catechese Echidende. It's it's intended to to overwhelm a person because we, we just believe I love that word powers what Paul says in Romans right mm -hmm. so the gospel's power not the herald the gospel is power not not the messenger the message is power mm -hmm. so it's intended to overwhelm to move someone to surrender and then to mobilize them for mission because that's the part I feel that mm -hmm. I think even personally my last four or five years if I'm honest I'm like what are you supposed to do after you've had the encounter other than to quote unquote, like become holy and what we're supposed to do and holiness is really important to be sure. Um, but I think what we're supposed to do, and I don't think we get this very well as Catholics, at least I didn't, um, is to continue the work of recreation and transformation mm -hmm. and healing mm -hmm. and resistance um, that the Lord began on Easter Sunday. Because the goal isn't to get out of here. I mean, the, the Lord's not going to snatch us away. The Lord's going to come back, <laughs> right? There's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. And um, there's that really bad song, you know, let us build the city of God. Yeah. <laughs> city of God. But we sure as heck can build for it. Mm. And what we're supposed to be doing right now, once I've had the encounter, is now coming to a deeper understanding of, okay, Lord, what is my mission now? How, how do you want to use the gifts you've given me so that I can uh, engage the world and continue the work of recreation that you began? Because the, the temptation right now as a, as a Catholic or as a Christian is to build a ghetto and say, the hell with the world, you guys are all lost. Mm -hmm. or, to, or to capitulate. Right. But we can't we can't build a ghetto and we can't capitulate. We have to engage. And if it costs us our life, fine. I mean, you know, who cares? Jesus has conquered death. Uh, I'm just not afraid of it. Right. Um, right. Not crazy about how it's going to happen. Right. <laughs> so, um, go be great, whatever that looks like. Mm. You make everything so personal, and that is what 
it is meant to be, right? Like the gospel is personal. Our call to mission is personal. That encounter should be personal. Tune in to Ignite Radio Live. So blessed to have Father John Ricardo from xxix.org, acts29.org. giving some great insight and guidance in the midst of this wilderness. And I would say it's a plan for thriving, not just surviving, but thriving. If you've listened to tonight's program, if you wouldn't mind us just joining you in prayer for an outpouring of the spirit, and however you are led in the remaining moments of our program. Yeah, I'd be honored to. Let's just, uh, let's just take a second and uh, put ourselves in the presence of the Lord and be mindful of the fact that the uh, father's ear is always attentive to the cry of his children. Mm-hmm. And so, Father, with uh, grateful hearts, we want to come before you also with expectant hearts. Mm-hmm. We want to bring before you um, those who lead the church right now, mm-hmm. or those who are the successors of the man who walked in the flesh with your son, who you have chosen in this time uh, to be shepherds. We pray for all the bishops. Lord, we can't fathom mm-hmm. uh, the responsibility and the weight and the attacks that come against these, our brothers. Mm-hmm. Lord, we ask that you would uh, enkindle within them anew the fire of your spirit, that you would uh, bring them back to their first love, that you would give them wisdom and courage yes, Lord. to see what must be done and to do whatever it is that you show them. We pray that you would surround them with countless wise men and women that they would know that they're not alone that it's not not all dependent on them Lord, just um, protect them from the many snares of the enemy especially that voice that says that uh, that we are on the wrong side of history and that the defeat is certain mm-hmm. remind them that that's not true that's a lie yes lord well we pray for uh, our pastors for all priests uh, we're so mindful of structures in the church which are often antiquated right now and how they are having um, often damaging effects on our brothers. Mm-hmm. Lord, we're mindful of so many guys who are tired, uh, who are worn out, who are frustrated, whose lives are going sideways. We just pray that you would send good Samaritans into their lives, mm-hmm. provide them with Bethany's places of friendship, places that speak truth into them, places that breathe life into them, yes, that Lord. you would give them many uh, hands to assist in the work. Well, we pray for families. We pray for all husbands and wives who are listening right now in mm. a special way, particularly those who find themselves uh, most in need, who are uh, in need of healing, who are in need of mm. reconciliation. Lord, we can often be wounded animals. Mm. Um, who are just afraid to approach each other. So we just ask, and especially through the intercession of John Paul the Great, that mm-hmm. you would uh, pour out grace and abundance yes, on Lord. Uh, married couples and uh, help them to make you known to each other. Help them to be like my mom and dad were for each other, to mm-hmm. be uh, men and women who help the other to know who you are. And lastly, we pray for all young people. Mm-hmm. Lord, we can't imagine what it's like to be a young person today with all the assaults that are coming their way, mm-hmm. or, uh, the, the narrative which is telling them that there's nothing to see in Christianity, just move along. Mm-hmm. Um, Lord, we just ask that you would reveal yourself uh, to any young person who's listening. Uh, we pray for all the children of those who are listening. We thank you that 
Uh, we don't have to be anxious about them, mm. that you love them more than we do, that you have a perfect plan, that you have a divine conspiracy yeah. to lead mm. them to you. All these and all the many needs that we have, Father, we just uh, bring before you uh, with utmost confidence and we thank you in advance for your provision. All this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Mm-hmm. Folks, thank you so much for being with us at Night Radio Live. So blessed tonight to have a wonderful, meaningful instruction, guidance, encouragement, support, blessing, prayer yes. with Father John Ricardo. We do point you to his organization, AxXIXX29.org. And just let's be saturated in this awareness as the front message you see there is God wants us world back and he's equipped us to be instruments of it abundant blessings with you father john know of our continued support and prayers and again thank you so much for being with us and in the church today yes thank you great stuff joy to be with you thanks